we will try our best to be done in a timely manner, although that is oftentimes very difficult for me. Turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 14. I was asked uh, several weeks ago that if I would share on liberty and freedom, the liberty and freedom that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, or liberty that we also have as a as a group of believers in the local church. And what does this liberty look like? And what is our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus? So I'm going to read this portion. It's a rather lengthy portion in Romans chapter 14, and we'll actually flow over into chapter 15 as we read this portion. But I think it's important that we read the entire portion in order to get it fixed in our mind as we as we go forward this morning. So Romans chapter 14, and we're going to begin right at verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not the disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. And he who gives God thanks, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is greed because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who receives Christ, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, Let us pursue the things which make for peace, and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. 
It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor any do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, and not to please ourselves. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word this morning. And let's pray together. Father, we ask that Thy Spirit would speak to our hearts this morning. We pray that He would take the things of His Word and make them clear to our hearts so that Your Son may be exalted and glorified and honored. We pray that Your Word would be honored uh, this, this morning, Father, for Your glory. For we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a young boy, and that doesn't go back too many years, but when I was a young boy growing up in the Gospel Hall in, in New Haven, Connecticut, there were many, many things that were seen in Christian circles to be prohibited. They were simply things you did not do as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go back a generation even before my time, it was even more restrictive in the things which you could do and could not do. They fell into areas which were called back then, and and still in some circles we call them this, they were called the indifferent things. We We would not likely use that terminology today. We might call them debatable things. We might call them disputable issues. But back just a few years ago, I can remember as a boy to go into a movie house was considered something you did not do as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You simply did not do it. I remember as a young boy that if you missed Sunday morning service for any reason, you would have the elders at your house wondering why you were not there. Or at least you would receive a phone call. And there were very little excuses that would be accepted. When I was a young boy, to watch TV or to even own one, To even own one, I can remember the old brethren standing up in years gone by and teaching us and saying, the TV is a tool of the devil. And we chuckle at it today, don't we? But there was wisdom there. There was some wisdom there that I will not dismiss too readily, even in this day and age in which we live. To drink wine or beer, socially, or even in your own home. Forget about it. Back when I was a boy, growing up in the assembly of God's people. Now, these prohibitions enforced by many churches seem rather restrictive now to us in the 21st century, doesn't it? Don't they? 
They seem rather archaic, rather restrictive for us in the 21st century. When I was in fellowship at the Gospel Hall, to practice any of those things would have caused men and women to question the reality of your faith. If these things were not evident in you, they would reason. There was reason to question whether you really knew the Lord Jesus Christ or not. The lines have blurred. For better or for worse. The lines have blurred from that time. There is a fermentation in our country. It is a fermentation that we find in our politic. It is a fermentation that we find in our education systems and yes, even in, in our churches. In the churches that maybe we are familiar with. It is a, it is a desire that I believe is, is fermented, if you will, by the enemy of God and man. And it's a desire to be free from all restriction. A desire to be free from all restrictions. To have and to be able to exercise, not only to possess, but to be able to exercise absolute autonomous freedom without the restrictions of law or without the restrictions of God. Now we would, in, in the church of Jesus Christ, we would, as those who, who know the Savior as our Lord, never say, even think, that we want autonomy from the things of God, would we? We would never suggest that we want things that, that go against the things of God. That we want absolute freedom in those senses of, of absolute autonomy. And although we would say that, the lines have become blurred. The lines between what is good and right and what is evil and wrong have become in many people's minds subjective things. Subjective things on how do we treat these things. And, and the lines have blurred. I was speaking the other night at, at the uh, Believers Assembly of, of South Florida about pursuing holiness. And we were looking at, at the life of, of Joseph and looking at the temptation of the life of Joseph as our text, and and bringing up the issue of integrity, the integrity that Joseph had, and that Joseph lived for, even when he was outside of the view of those who would be considered to be those of the faith. He was living now in Egypt. And in Egypt, he would not let go of his integrity, even though the people of Israel, or or the, his family and his brothers, could not see him. He didn't change his integrity. He continued to pursue holiness. He continued to pursue holiness. And then we spoke about calling evil evil and calling wicked wicked seeing things as God sees things and taking our side with God pursuing holiness and that is what we spoke about there that evening 
Now, when we approach this subject of liberty and freedom in the Christian life, we need to be clear on our definitions. We need to be clear in our mind and in our practice about what we mean when we use those terms in the context of our liberty and freedom as believers in Christ and our liberties and freedom as an assembly of God's people. We can observe it through the pages of Scripture, through the New Testament in particular as it applies and is directed to us, we can see that there are many different aspects, there are many different ways that our liberty that we find in Christ are exercised. We see different aspects of our liberty and how it exercises itself in our walk with the Lord. By that I mean the context will provide for us in the different portions of His Word, the context will provide for us the specific type of liberty or class of liberty that is being written of. For example, when Paul writes to the Galatians. He writes to the Galatian church. Obviously, in his writing to the Galatian church, the liberty that he is speaking of is a freedom now from the law and the restrictive nature of the law as it regards our salvation. That the law need not be added, not only to be saved, but it need not be added even as a rule of life but that we have been set free from the law into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. But it is regarding our salvation, regarding the no longer under law. Do not add law to our salvation. And so, and I know there's other things that are there as well, but as, a, as an overall view, and I know that's simply stated, but you understand my meaning We are not to put ourselves back under the Old Testament system for salvation or for rules that regulate the way we live and walk before God. James speaks about the perfect law of liberty, the perfect law of, yeah, the perfect law of liberty. And in there he's talking about the gospel in the first instance in which he uses it, that the gospel has, is, has given us a sense of liberty. And then he uses it in the second sense, uh, later on, regarding our, our commitment to one another, that the law, that, law of liberty that we have in relationship to one another. Again, in 1 Corinthians 8, and, 8 and, in, and in 10, Paul speaks of our freedom in Christ, comparing the weak in conscience to the stronger, and the responsibilities that the more mature believers have to the weaker believers. And we find that as well reiterated here in, in um, Romans chapter 14. Now, we are going to focus our attention for the remainder of our time this morning. I have a very bad problem of building big front porches. And then when I build a big front porch, we never get a chance to get into the house where I want to take you. So we're going to skip any more of the building of a front porch. And we're going to move into the text itself. Move into into Romans chapter 14 and take a look at some of the things that Paul is speaking of here. Now... When we move into 14, it's a place where we want to look at one aspect of the liberty or freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, and then how those freedoms are to be used. Now, because we live in a Western culture, in a Western society, 
here I go building more front porch. But because we live in a Western culture, in a Western society, and we have liberties, we oftentimes associate those same liberties and those same freedoms with what we have in Christ. Because that's the way we think. That's the way we think. And we can make some correlations. And I'll, and I'll show you what I mean. We can make some correlations between what we understand as liberties that are protected, for example, in the Constitution and by laws. But we are told over and over and over again that even those liberties have limits. Sometimes those limits aren't as close as we would even like them to be. But there are limits. I hate to go into this kind of stuff, but we're going to do it anyway. The right to bear arms. It is a right. And it's a liberty which we have as Americans, right? But there are limits to it, aren't there? There are limits to what you can do with the weapon that you possess. Right? And the government sets those limits. And federal law and state law set those limits. You just can't shoot anywhere and you just can't shoot anyone. There are limits. We talk about the freedom of speech that we have. That we are free to speak our mind. We are free to say whatever we want. And this is where those limits sometimes to us aren't strict enough. Because it covers things like pornography. It covers things like, like you know, other things that we would definitely not agree with. But there are limits on freedom of speech too, aren't there? There are limits of freedom of speech. You cannot be on an airplane flying at 30,000 feet and yell out, I have a bomb. And everyone says, oh, that's okay, it's just it's freedom of speech. You can't do that. When you land, a federal marshal is going to be there with a whole crew of people and they're going to take you into custody because you just can't do that. You can't yell fire in a, in a, in a movie theater that's packed with people. There are restrictions to what you can do with your freedom of speech, right? There are these restrictions and we accept those restrictions because we understand them. So even rights on the civil side of things or the secular side of things recognize limitations. Without such law, without such limitations, we end up with anarchy and everybody doing right in his own eyes. And we've seen that scenario before in the Old Testament. So when Paul writes about freedoms in Christ, he is concerned about the wrong influence of man's perspectives on what these liberties and freedoms are. To those of us who are in the world and living here now, by that I simply mean those who are living without the divine standards of the Word of God, to them freedom means my rights. I have the right to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, and don't you tell me I cannot do it. And that's the kind of autonomous rights that we sometimes think we have when it comes to our rights as believers in Christ. And it just ain't so. There are restrictions. There are restrictions that are laid down by the Word of God. Without that, 
you have Christian anarchy. And there ought not to be Christian anarchy. You agree? I'm glad. Because that helps me going forward. Now let's look at the text before us, before our time gets away. And we do not have time this morning to unpack all of these things verse by verse as we move along in any kind of depth. That's best left for the classroom situation. We're only going to observe some of the salient points of of what Paul is laying out for us here in Romans chapter 14. And they're obvious to us. We'll quickly see, even a cursory reading through this, we quickly see that Paul's main emphasis seems to be not to have ongoing disputes among you, over opinions in disputable things. Do not have ongoing disputes among you over things that are disputable. He speaks of eating certain things. But it's not the foods that Paul is concerned about. It is the judging that he is concerned about. And that's a reoccurring theme. And and it's interesting as you see as, you, as we read through that text, I hope you noticed a reoccurring phrase. And that reoccurring phrase was, to the Lord. That is an important phrase in this whole context. Because all of what is going on here, as he's explaining all of these things, the emphasis is make sure that when you are operating and functioning in all of these issues, make sure you are doing it as to the Lord. To the Lord. Not to satisfy your own lust or your own desire or your own wants, but making sure that all of those things that you perform and all those things that you're doing in your liberty is to the Lord. That you're doing it as unto the Lord. These things, all of which are disputable things, must be seen as they relate to our Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is where our accountability lies. Which brings in at last, or at least, a sense of morality into the things regarding our freedom. Then he brings these things into even sharper focus as we move on in this chapter. But let's let's pause for just a minute and look at these first few, first six verses, and we're just going to read through them and pause just briefly as we move through them. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who eats vegetables is weak. He who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who dis- despise him who does not eat, nor let him that does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. You see, it's not about vegetables. It's not about foods. It's about disputable things. Right? One says, you know, I can eat all these things. And the other one says, oh boy, you better not because you know what it says. There are certain laws and certain rules about things you should eat and you shouldn't eat. And you shouldn't eat these things. And if we get the attitude, well, I'm going to follow the Mosaic system. I'm going to follow the Mosaic laws when it comes to their dietary rules and laws. And I'm going to follow those things. Well, then follow them. 
Follow them. But don't look down your nose at the one who says, I don't need to follow them. These are disputable things. Before now we have been freed from the law, freed from those things, and so now we can look at things differently. So we who would maybe say, oh, I can eat, I can eat all things. I can eat all things. Well, then go ahead and eat all things. But in your eating of all things, be sure you don't cause your brother to stumble. Be sure you don't cause that one who is weak in the faith to stumble over disputable things that don't matter. That don't matter. Do you have to flaunt what you eat? And, and this is, we're just using eating because that's what he uses here. Do you have to flaunt what you're eating in front of your brother who is weak and thinks, I cannot, I cannot participate in that? No, we don't. Are you free to do so? Yes, you are. As long as we're doing these things unto the Lord. That brings us into even sharper focus when we get to verse 7. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. We have died to self. We've been raised up to newness of life in Christ. We have laid ourselves, as it were, on the altar. Died to Christ. Raised up to newness of life. And so Paul says, if this is true, and He is your Lord, and He is the Lord, He is the Master of each one of you here, individually and collectively, right? He is the Lord of this local gathering, and He is the Lord of each one of you individually. And if He is your Lord, you are accountable to Him in all things. Right? Right? We are accountable to Him in all things. So why do we judge our brother and sister in these disputable issues? He's accountable before the Lord just as you are accountable before the Lord for the things that you do and the way that you act. We're accountable before the Lord. Why do we show contempt for our brothers and sisters? And contempt here is a word that means to make no account. It means to despise them. It's a rather strong word. Why do you despise them? Why do you despise them? It's not ours to judge. We will all one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all in that day give an account of the things done in this body, whether good or evil, good or bad. Now, that, that terminology is, is kind of confusing sometimes for, for people, simply because it, it has the idea that, oh, I thought we were, our sins were already judged. I think our, thought our sins were already paid for. Why am I standing before the judgment seat of Christ now and, and having to give account for the bad or the evil in my life? What it means is those things which are worthless. You know, it has this idea of we do good things 
Sometimes we do good things in the power of our own flesh, for our own glory, for our own glorification. And if we do things even for the Lord, or for our brothers and sisters, and, and our all, we have ulterior motives behind it, and it's not for the Lord, well, it's some, something that's done that, that has no value and no worth. And when you stand before the Lord one day and you give an account of the things that you have done in this body, whether good or whether they were worthless, it's not an issue of dealing with your sin that's already been dealt with. It is an issue of those things that we have done. And you may call them sin, I suppose. I guess if you want to come down to the final analysis. But it has the idea of of what is gold, silver, and what is precious stones? And what is wood, hay, and stubble? The wood, hay, and stubble is just going to be burnt away. It was done for your own glory. It was done for your own value. But the gold and silver is stuff that was done in the Spirit of God for His glory. For His glory. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll each give an account. And the terminology here has this idea of a verbal account. One day, all of us, individually, will stand before Christ and we will give a verbal account to Him of the things that have been done in this body, whether good or bad. And all of these things will come back to our mind and and whether the Lord is going to be revealing them to us or whether we're going to be remembering the things that we've done in in our lives, good or bad, good or, or useless or worthless, we are all going to be giving an account to the Lord. Lord, I exercised my liberty in Christ because I wanted to and I didn't care if it stumbled my brother. Oh... I don't want to give that account, do you? I knew I had liberty to do such and such a thing, and I could do such and such a thing, but in my doing so, I caused a weaker brother who had just come to know the Lord, who was beginning to see that he needed to separate himself from the things of this world, and I caused him to stumble. What did Paul say? I would prefer never to eat meat again if it's going to cause my brother to stumble. My brothers and sisters, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. In the final analysis, it's just not worth it. So because it's true... Let us not judge one another over disputable things anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block, a cause to fall in our brother's way. Ah, that goes back to our responsible behavior, doesn't it? We have a responsibility before God for even exercising our liberties in Christ. We have a responsibility before God. Even in those things. If you went on into... In this chapter to verse 14 and on, I know and I'm convinced by the Lord, there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers it to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Some have use these portions in here about a, a day. One day is is uh, not esteemed as above another day. And this day is not as important as that day. Or, or how, how does it say it here? Uh, where am I? Help me out here. Verse 4 and 5. It says, one person in verse 5 esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, I've, I've seen this portion 
dealing with special days, whether they are to be observed and not to justify not coming to meetings on the Lord's Day. I don't come to the meetings on the Lord's Day because it's not a special day anyway. I can do kind of what I want on that day and I choose in my liberty to come. And if I, if I care to go to a soccer game instead, if I care to take my kids to a, a baseball game that they're playing in, and if I care to take a whole semester off of coming to meetings because my kid plays soccer on Sunday, it's my freedom to do so. And so it is. But there are other scriptures that play into that as well. And do not forsake the assembling of yourself together as is a matter of some. And we have the patterns that are laid down in the Word of God, how they met together on the Lord's Day because they knew that we needed to have prayer and fellowship and the breaking of bread and the, the Apostles' doctrine taught to us. We, the Lord knows that we need these things and so He has called us to come apart. But is it your freedom to do so otherwise? Well, I, I suppose it is. But one day you'll stand before the good judgment seat of Christ. One day you'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And people will say, and, I, and I've had this said to me, this is really a hot button issue. I hate, you know, that's one of the nice things about being a visiting speaker. I don't know any of you. I have no idea where you stand on some of these issues. I have no idea if you have kids in soccer or kids in baseball that have games on Sunday. I have no idea. So I have a liberty and freedom to speak in, and I'm not stepping on anybody's toes that I know of. And if I'm stepping on your toes, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know. But we recognize, don't we, that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. One day we'll stand before Him. And I don't think He's really going to be impressed at the score of last week's soccer game. I don't. Doesn't mean you don't have the freedom. And I'm not taking the freedom away from you. And nor am I seeking to judge you. I'm simply saying... Yet the Word of God sets certain limitations on where our freedoms lie. And we are to be those who are doing things unto the Lord. To the Lord. I don't esteem this day. To the Lord. <laughs> you know, so it's either way, it's always to the Lord. So even if you're going off, if you're doing it with a heart that's to the Lord, well, bless you. But we have a responsibility before the Lord for these liberties and freedom. We are now in that grace period, okay? So just remember that I had a grace period that was given unto me. So, this portion, it wraps up with with verse 1 of chapter 15. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves. Now this word scruples is kind of an archaic word. It means in effect the error that rises up from weakness of understanding. So it's a weak conscience, as it were. We are, who are the stronger ones, ought to bear the weak ones. And so what does that say? That says to me, using our context that we've just been using, someone takes their kids to soccer games on Sunday morning. Because they have soccer games on Sunday morning. And we who are the stronger, so to speak, I'm not referring to myself, I'm referring to mature brethren within the assembly, who see this and say, you know, that's probably not the wisest choice. 
do we stand over them and with strong words condemn them and with strong words point our finger in their face and say, Thou shalt not? Or do we bear with the scruples of the weak and guide them and lead them along that the Scripture might show them that the Scripture might teach them, that the Spirit of my God might convince them as the days and the years go by that this is probably not the best thing. You bear with them. You love them. You don't condemn them and judge them because they haven't quite learned yet the things that maybe ought to be priorities over other things. You agree? If you don't agree, I'm sorry you're wrong. <laughs> we need to be those who, who are exercising love toward those who maybe just do not quite understand. Now, every generation of Christians faces the need to decide just what beliefs and behavior are morally required of all believers. And what beliefs and behavior may be left to the individual believer's conscience. Every generation must decide these things. So, when I began speaking about that generation that was I, I grew up in as a young boy, and the generation that was before it, these things were seen in that time and in that generation to be indisputable things that now have kind of shifted over to the disputable column. Rightly or wrongly. I'm not here to judge whether it's right or wrong to, to move those things from one column to another. Let you be convinced in your own mind. When we read through our Bibles and find that the practice of certain kinds of behavior displayed in certain individuals that practice such things, like we find in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10, for example, when we see people who are performing these things, the Scripture tells us they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You better read that list careful. <laughs> we know that if we have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are forgiven and we have salvation and we have eternal security. No question about it. But if we are living in the things that are listed there, and that's our normal course of life, I would begin to question the reality of my salvation. But anyway, that's not where we're going. And our time is, is quickly getting away from us. There are certain things which are non-negotiable, aren't there? They may be debatable things, because I guarantee you, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Maybe I should soften that. In all likelihood, every single major doctrine of the Scripture has been debated at one time or another. We love to debate stuff. And that's caused all the divisions that we find within the, in the church of Christ today. Debates over all kinds of theological issues. So it's not the idea that if it's a disputable issue, we just put it aside. There are certain things that are concrete to our faith that are not disputable and never can be disputable and will not be disputable. And those things we will always hold to, always maintain. The deity of our Lord Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
salvation by grace through faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the inspired text by which we receive His Word. These things are non-negotiable. Does that mean they've never been disputed? They've all been disputed. But they are not disputable things. When it comes to our faith... They are not disputable things. They are the bedrock of our faith and they cannot be placed aside. More and more in our tolerant, pluralistic society, these bedrock bedrock truths have softened to be more palatable to other groups who see things differently. After all, all these groups have some truth, don't they? We are all worshiping the same God. We are all accepted and should not be so exclusive and as a result, the corruption or the, the concept of absolute truth is blurring even within the professing church. Cannot be. It cannot be. Moving ahead because my grace is running out. Slowly, as I said earlier, things from one group of indisputables have been drifting over to disputable groups. And now we have seen as acceptable practice under certain conditions and restrictions, things like going to the movies. We mentioned that one earlier. Going to the movies, that's a that's an example. Going to a movie theater is, is okay now, right? I mean, it's okay, right? Who among you has not gone to a movie theater? I don't want to see any hands, in case there are some. So now, where do the lines blur? Where do the lines blur? Just using this as an example. You can use this across the the whole gamut of things that we consider to be liberties. Going to a movie theater is okay as long as it's a G movie. And then that slides or has slid into a PG movie. And then they change their ratings and it slid into a PG-13 Okay, well, this is okay still. There might be some things that are questionable in there, but that's okay. You know, we, we can handle it. We have liberty and we, we can handle it. And then it slides a little bit into an R. And we say, well, it's only an R because it's because it has violence. And it's only an R because it has has maybe a sex scene in it. But, you know, as long as it has only one that we can look at quick and it goes by, it's all right. We, we still enjoy the story. We still enjoy what's going on. And and you see? You see? We start to... Slip. And we start to accept. It's the proverbial uh, frog in the, in the boiling water, right? So where do we draw lines? Where do we draw lines? It comes back to what we said earlier. I go to the movie as to the Lord. Oh, oh, it is a movie that I would feel very comfortable sitting next to my Lord in in the theater. After all, he loves these things, too. He loves Harry Potter. Well, you know, that's one of those questionable areas, isn't it? Well, I've heard many Christians and again, I'm, I don't I'm not stepping on toes because I don't know any toes who have very, very strongly supported 
those kind of books and that kind of reading. Oh, the kids love it. The kids are reading it. Oh, it's just great to have the kids reading. And what are they reading? They're reading about sorcery and how to, how to have sorcery, how to use sorcery, how it's a wonderful thing to have sorcery. And, and we think to ourselves, well, you know, but that's always been going on. We've, we even had that in the Wizard of Oz, didn't we? And we loved watching the Wizard of Oz. But the thing different, there's difference in the Wizard of Oz is that good always triumphed over evil. This is evil triumphing over evil. Sorcery. Is it your right, your freedom, to go see such things? It certainly is. Is it your freedom to read such things? It certainly is. Unto the Lord. To the Lord. To the Lord I read these books. To the Lord I see these movies. And if you can say that, and have a clear conscience before Him, then praise God. And if you can't, you better pray some more. You better seek His Word and seek His voice in some of these things. Compromise is a slippery slope, and we all know it. And today, one of the hot button issues, and I'll end with this, and I promise, because it's, 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 yeah, maybe I should stop now. You know, should I stop now? I think I should stop now. I'm going to stop now. No one's telling me, don't stop now, so I'm going to stop now. Okay, I'll tell you one more hot button issue. Thank you. Thank you, welcome. <laughs> thank you, thank you. One hot button issue today is homosexual marriage. All right? Certainly we cannot compromise there, can we? Can we compromise there? Should that be an issue where everyone must be persuaded in his own mind? Yet we have seen many mainline churches doing just that. Compromising, allowing that which a generation ago would have been thought an abomination are now considered to be acceptable. Doing right which is right in my own eyes and being acceptable. We must draw lines. We must draw lines. And there are some things that are not disputable. Children in the womb and their right to live and all the laws that are being passed which affect us. A woman's right over her own body. What about in cases of rape? Where do we draw our lines? Where do we draw our lines? At life or somewhere else? These things must be clear in our own minds. Lest we be persuaded by a world who is blurring the lines for us. And if we are living in the world for any length of time, the lines in your own mind will begin to blur unless you are very careful to not let the world influence the way you think but allow the Word of God to be that which influences the way you think and the way you make decisions. To the Lord, I do such. To the Lord, I will not cause my brother to stumble. To the Lord, I will drink wine. To the Lord, I will do this. 
to the Lord, I will do that as long as I am not causing my brother to stumble and as long as it doesn't violate the principles of God's Word. May we be faithful to the Lord in all of these freedoms and liberties which we possess. So much more in this whole topic, but we will hold that until another time, perhaps. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks. We give you praise. We give you adoration for who you are. You are a holy God and you have called us to holiness. You have asked us, you have commanded us to be holy because you are holy. Help us as we live in this world where the lines are continually being blurred, not only in our own lives personally, but in the lives of of an assembly as a whole. Help us, Father, to hold true to you and that all that we do and all that we say we can offer up to you and say with clear consciences before you, this I do as unto you and for your glory. For we ask these things and we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.